0: Not-so-brief COVID-19 update, April 12th, 4.30 a.m. Easter morning. Crocuses and daffodils pushing their way through snow, a full moon, Passover, Easter, and soon Ramadan. It is an auspicious time. And for the pandemic, too, there are propitious signs. However, contrary to these holidays, traditions, and signs of spring, we need to remain in a period of relative winter and of self-denial rather than the customary family and community gatherings that are herald these seasons. The many Mainers who are still without power due to last week's snowstorm must be nodding their heads as well as uttering enough already. This pandemic has not passed us over. But first, let's dwell with some of the good good news. As I and others have mentioned, the curve is flattening here in Maine. One common measure of this is the doubling time, the number of days it takes for the numbers of identified cases, people with the infection, to double. Because Maine has relatively small numbers, I've been following five-day rolling averages, In order to smooth out the daily variations in data, in case you notice different data from what others report. In mid-March, shortly after Maine's reported its first case of COVID-19, both the U.S. and Maine's doubling times were two days. In other words, the cumulative number of people testing positive in Maine and the U.S. doubled every two days. This was similar to what had been seen in China, Italy, and other places where the pandemic spiraled out of control. To understand why so many of us were very anxious, Let's remember the old high school math question. Would you rather be would you rather be given 1 million once or a penny that doubles each day for a month? Understandably, many quickly answer 1 million, but like compound interest, there is much power in doubling. A penny doubling every day or so day is on day 2, 2 cents, on day 3, 4 cents, day 4, 8 cents, day 5, 16 cents, day 6, 32 cents, day 7, 64 cents, day 8, twenty eight Day 9, $2.56. Day 10, $5.12. Day 11, $10.24. God, this is long. Day 12, $24.48. Day 13, <clears throat> $40.96. Day 14, $81.92. Day 15, $163.84. And onward to day 30, when the amount is five million three hundred sixty eight dollars thousand dollars, seven hundred and nine hundred twelve cents, upwards of five million. Anyways, so the correct answer is to take the penny that doubles every day. The lesson is also the same as compound interest. Investing a small amount of money for your retirement at a young age with compound interest shows great earnings later in years as one approaches retirement. Now let's return to this pandemic. With the doubling time of identified cases of two days, after 16 doublings, i.e. 32 days, or about a month's time, we could expect to see 32,768 identified cases. Given this disease's hospitalization rate is 15-20% to 20% of identified cases, based on these numbers, we could expect to see an estimated 4,900 to 6,550 hospitalized in Maine due to COVID-19 during this first month. We also know the length of hospitalization is relatively long for this infection about twice the average length of stay. Maine only has 2,900 hospital beds. With a fatality rate among identified cases of 2.5 to 3%, based on these numbers, we could expect to see 800 to 1,000 deaths in the first month alone in Maine. That would almost double the number of deaths we would normally see in a month. And given Maine's high proportion of older people, the real numbers of deaths deaths and hospitalizations could be much higher. These are some of the reasons why a month ago, many of us felt we were looking down the throat of a beastly storm. One side note is that epidemics usually don't grow exponentially forever. As more people become immune, the growth flattens into what is called a logistic growth, but we generally don't reach that point during the first month when an infection such as COVID-19. Not all infections spread with such rapid doubling times, but the data we were seeing on a daily basis from China, Italy, and increasingly from other countries and within the U.S., showed that COVID-19 was spreading at a fearfully exponential speed that was on a pace to overwhelm us shortly. Maine CDC and Nordics labs at Maine Health started testing those for COVID-19 on March 9th and 10th. The first case was announced on March 12th and was in someone who had just returned from Italy and had been isolated at home. By Sunday, March 15th, several cases were identified, including one whose test test was an indicator of community transmission in Cumberland County. In other words, it wasn't clear where they contracted the infection from since they had not traveled to an infected area nor been in close contact with a person known to be infected. It was that day, March 15th, that a state of emergency was declared. Schools were asked to close. Healthcare providers were asked to only see patients in person who had essential urgent needs. Long-term care facilities were asked to prohibit visitors and people were asked not to gather in groups. This was the first of a number of executive orders, each stricter than the previous ones. March 15th was also Maine's bicentennial, with long-planned celebrations suddenly canceled. This was the first of many reminders that celebrations can take different forms, and perhaps sometimes all we can do is to cope with the day's news and hope we remember or have the emotional energy to wish someone a happy birthday or anniversary, or contemplate the underlying meaning of such otherwise celebrated occasions. I am sure I was not the only one to reflect that March 15th eighteen twenty represented a day of independence, mostly from Massachusetts, and March fifteenth, twenty twenty now represented a pivoting of us coming together to regain our independence from the grips of a pandemic storm that was quickly descended upon us. It was also the foreboding Ides of March. The other fear besides this pandemic bearing down on us, without vaccine or known treatment, non pharmaceutical interventions, NPIs, such as social distancing and vigilant hygiene as a population wide strategy, were the only tools in the toolbox and the evidence for them worked working for a state or country was well shaky. CDC rushed the publication of a review of the literature led by a student and recent graduate from the University of Hong Kong's public health program. See link to study below. One problem is that virtually all of the literature on this topic is on influenza. COVID-19 is not influenza. As an example, School children are, no ma- are known major transmitters of influenza across a community. Therefore, early and sustained school closures are a major non-pharmaceutical intervention (NPI) strategy to mitigate the pandemic with influenza. The early data from China show school children are mildly affected by COVID-19 compared with adults, but there's little evidence they are major transmitters. To be on the safe side, one has to assume they can easily transmit the infection to others even if they are mildly affected themselves. But this is an important piece of information to inform decision-making on school closures that is not fully known. What if school children are mildly affected by COVID-19 because they are relatively immune to the coronavirus cousins that cause common colds, and if so, they may not be major transmitters of COVID-19? We do not know, and for now we have to assume they are transmitters, and make policy decisions based on influenza and the emerging data on COVID-19. Another problem with the literature is that it is based off of retrospective observational studies, such as from the 1918 pandemic with influenza, or on computer simulation studies. There were none that were directly applicable to the current situation with COVID-19. However, the literature review from the University of Hong Kong suggested that social distancing measures could be effective interventions to reduce transmissions and mitigate the impact of an influenza pandemic. But the authors noted the low quality of the evidence and the lack of evidence for optimal timing and duration of such strategies, as schools and workplace closures. Another study, a 2007 review of records from 43 American cities, compared the interventions made and outcomes during the 1918 pandemic with influenza. Found that early, sustained, and layered non pharmaceutical interventions school closures, business closures, public gathering bans, and isolation and quarantine of those who were sick or exposed were associated with significant reductions in mortality. See link to study below. Interestingly, some cities in 1918 experienced two surges, i.e. two peaks in deaths. Those are the cities that lifted the NPI mandates early. Then, after seeing a second surge in deaths, reinstituted NPIs and saw the surge decline. However, this study was on a pandemic with influenza, and we are now experiencing a pandemic with a coronavirus. As the author stated, history is not a predictive science. During the 2009 to 2010 pandemic with H1N1 influenza, a few NPI mandates were used, such as the closure of New York City schools in the late spring of 2009 before there was a vaccine available. But such NPIs were not mandated statewide or across the country. US CDC's pandemic plans were revised in 2017. See link below. To incorporate the lessons from 2009, from the lessons from 2009, their basic recommendations were to phase in NPIs to include three major categories of strategies: one, personal protective measures, respiratory and hand hygiene, isolation of those who are ill, quarantining of those exposed; two, social distancing, community measures, school closures, canceling mass gatherings, work from home; and three, environmental measures, increased cleaning of frequently touched surfaces. But these recommendations were for a pandemic with influenza, assumed there would be antiviral medications available from the start and that vaccine would be available within six, within six months and were based on either situations that did not mirror COVID-19, e.g. the 1918 or, 20, or 2009 pandemic with influenza, or on computer modeling, again with influenza. So a month ago, many of us familiar with infectious disease epi- epidemiology were anxious and sleepless. We were looking down the throat of a beast of a storm on our doorstep that could kill many here in Maine and overwhelm our health system, and we knew our country, as, a great, as great and powerful as it is, only had the same blunt NPI tools available to us as China and Italy had implemented, and those tools were not only blunt, but could be devastating to people's jobs, to families, economic and emotional well-being, and to the economy. As these NPI's were rolled out, isolation of those who were ill, contract. Contact tracing and quarantining of those who were exposed, school and non essential business closures, social distancing, even for essential businesses, canceling of gatherings, masking, etc. We all watched closely. We knew it would be two or three weeks or more before we could expect to see significant results in the pandemic, especially since initial data indicated the virus had already been spreading in southern Maine before testing was available. Since among the first few people diagnosed there were people with known with no known exposure history. Seeing the devastating of fa- devastation of family businesses closing, streets emptying, and people lined up for food has also made us realize how we, when we eventually count all of the cases of COVID-19, we also must count those who have suffered in other ways. During the first two weeks after the first cases of identified COVID-19 in Maine were announced, i.e. the last two weeks of March, the numbers increased quite dramatically, especially in Cumberland and York counties, where community transmission was evident from the beginning. Although the doubling times using five... Oh, I lost my place. Sorry. <sighs> okay. Although the doubling times using five-day rolling averages slowed a small bit, and that was encouraging, Other another measure I was following was very concerning. New York City by this time was spiraling out of control. In order to compare how we were doing, I measured, the, I measured the prevalence in New York City 12 days after their first identified case, March 13th, compared with Maine and Cumberland Counties 12 days after our first case, March 25th. While New York City's was 1.63 cases per 100,000 on day 12 after the first identified case, Maine's was 8.82, and Cumberland County's was 25 point, 25.21. This was the trend for several days and continued for several more. And our prevalence was much higher on day twelve than in New Hampshire, 1.92. Vermont, 3.35, and Boston, 3.46. Were we about to become the next hotspot? Also very concerning was hearing that dwindling federal assets were being diverted to areas harder hit, yet we were on track to be hard hit as well. Then there was the first week of April. On April 1st, which was day 19 after our first identified case in Maine, our prevalence was twenty-two point six four per hundred thousand. Cumberland counties was fifty-seven point five seven, and New York City's on their day nineteen, March twentieth, March was sixty-seven point six six. Although Maine's prevalence had expectedly continued to decrease, although Maine's prevalence had expectedly continued to increase, the rate of increase had slowed considerably. This appeared to be evidence that social distancing was working. New York City's from their day nineteen onward has continued has continued to skyrocket. It seems that several factors were highly contri- were likely contributing to New York City's spiraling, including their high concentration of people, 70,000 per square mile compared with Maine's 43 per square mile, making social distancing very challenging, and the likelihood that they had circulated virus, that they had circulating virus for weeks before the first case was was identified with silent spread and were unable to detect it because of lack of testing. Now back to the doubling Times. During the last days of March, Maine. During the last days of March, the doubling time of the cumulative number of identified cases in Maine trended upward, though bounced a bit between two and five days. And meanwhile, the U.S. average steadily increased from day. day and meanwhile, the U.S. average steadily increased from two days to four days. Then there was the first week of April. Maine's doubling time increased and increased and increased. It went, from six days, it went from six days on April 1st to 16 to 17 days, the last two days. And again, these are five-day rolling averages. The U.S. has increased to eight and New Hampshire's to 12. The latter increased likely not as high as Maine's due to most of their cases being concentrated in the very southern part of the state, and perhaps because of social distancing mandates that lag behind Maine's by several days. Maine's dramatic rise in doubling time is led by Cumberland County, which has risen from two days 23 days and only two and only three and a half weeks time from an epidemiological standpoint these dramatic rises in doubling times are astonishing i've not been this excited about public health data in years and since we don't want to rely completely on testing data since testing has not been as widely available as we have needed it is important to examine other data to to confirm these trends first there are hospitalization data Although Maine CDC wasn't reporting current hospitalizations until recently, we have tracked the numbers of people hospitalized with COVID-19 at our hospitals at Maine Health, and I've been in touch with my colleagues at Northern Light Health, Maine General, and Central Maine Healthcare. Our data and theirs shows hospitalization steadily increased the last two weeks of March, but the last week, those numbers with some daily fluctuations have flattened. They haven't doubled in over two weeks. Our hospitalization Our overall hospitalization rate, based on cumulative hospitalizations through March 28th, has been higher than the national average, which, given that Maine has the oldest median age in the country and the highest proportion of people age 65 and older, is not a surprise, since older people are more likely to contract severe disease with this infection. Another confirming piece of data are are on deaths. Even one death is too many, and our hearts go out to those who are grieving. But it has been confirming that our doubling time for the for cumulative deaths has been about 10 days, whereas across the country, it's five days. So what does this all mean? This seems to show that indeed, NPIs, such as social distancing, are working. There have been no other interventions to explain why the pandemic has slowed down here in Maine. With all of the uncertainty, including a lack of much evidence in 102 years and the only real evidence applicable to a different virus, influenza, it is an astounding accomplishment. And every single Maine person, organization and business should take credit. But let's also be clear what the limitations are of this. Still astounding accomplishment. It means the rate of increase is decreasing. It doesn't mean we are seeing a decrease in cases, hospitalizations, or deaths yet. And there is plenty of evidence the virus continues to circulate in Maine. For instance, a number of new cases are are people who have no idea where they contracted the infection from. It is also spreading into rural Maine. We are also not an island like New Zealand or Iceland. So despite shutdowns across much of the country, we cannot prevent people from other states traveling here or Maine people from traveling elsewhere and returning. Even essential goods such as groceries are whisked here by people driving trucks from other states. It is also important to remember one of the lessons from 1918. Those Those cities that lifted social distancing mandates too early saw a second surge in deaths. We also don't fully know if some of the mandates are more effective than others and therefore which ones can be lifted soon and the damaging impacts of the mandates need to be taken into account and factored into the decisions we also lack major necessities to lifting significant mandates widespread ability widespread ability to easily test sufficient ppe for all of healthcare, first responders and congregate living settings nursing homes and an adequate public health workforce to prevent and mitigate expected outgoing sorry and an adequate public health workforce to prevent and mitigate expected ongoing outbreaks as well as to connect with every person who tests positive to assure the person is appropriately isolated and to follow up with their close contacts to advise quarantine and possibly offer them testing it is also clear that even as we emerge out of the storm and into spring we will need social distancing to one degree or another as well as vigilant hygiene practices and places until vaccine until the vaccine has been widely administered that appears to be months from now although for many of us the spring holidays are accumulated are culminated oh my god are culminated with large gatherings of loved ones in celebration and instead this year we find ourselves having to continue some form of self-denial because of the pandemic and for many mainers because of the power outages due to a recent snowstorm i hope we also realize the self-denial is working to save lives We only have to look south to New York City to realize where we may have been now if we had not acted earlier. Whether we are celebrating Passover, Easter, oh, if we had not acted early. Wow, I'm struggling to (laughs) die. Whether we are celebrating Passover, Easter, or Ramadan, it is still a time of quiet reflection rather than joyous gatherings. This pandemic has not passed us over, but like the crocuses and daffodils emerging from the snow and the pascal, pascal? Moon lighting our night sky. There are early and exciting signs of spring. That took forever. I'm so sorry for all the times that I stumbled over my words. It's like nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And I'm a teenager. Anyways, bye and happy Easter if you celebrate it.